Betsy. And welcome to the Feeling Your Oats podcast. Whether it's great lives or great tragedies, or just showing up for the adventure, history that is told without being felt is minimized. Like food that is eaten without being tasted. What's the point? Tell the stories, feel the people, learn the lessons, be a better you because of them. Don't keep reinventing the wheel. Will you get some of the story wrong? Yes! Will the size of the fish increase each time? Probably. Will there be a different perspective? Of course. So what? When we stand on the shoulders of the past, we can see with greater clarity into our future. True stories well told can inspire, caution, entertain, and instruct. If you judge the yesterdays of history by today's standards, then you deserve the same. If you erase it, you will repeat it. Please come on in and make yourself at home. Say, while you're here... Can I get you something to think today? It was the early summer of 1993. Justin had just finished his senior year of high school. Track season had just ended, and his summer work schedule was just around the corner. Most likely wrangling mules and pampering dudes for Pete Mangum, again, at the North Rim of the Grand Canyon. It was decent pay, good tips, and he enjoyed the socializing. He would often tell the nervous riders as the sure-footed mules meandered down the very narrow cliffside trails, if you get scared, just do like the mules do and close your eyes. His 1979 two-tone red and white Ford F-150 wasn't the flashiest bench seat stick shift truck around. But he had a new saddle blanket style seat cover, and it got him to working back. Then were the trucks a fellow could actually work on by himself. Wasn't all fancy and computerized and congested under the hood yet. The windows had the fancy roll-up contraption that you actually cranked in a circular motion, and the window went down. The opposite direction, and the window went up again. The headlight dimmer switch was on the far left side of the floorboard, just under the emergency brake and to the side of the clutch. The heater was always working, as long as you kept the coolant level topped off, or just wear your letterman's jacket. Now, this truck was equipped with the state-of-the-art 255 air conditioning. That is, two windows down and 55 miles per hour. In 1993, gasoline was $1.12 a gallon and dropping. Most of the time, you filled up the oil and checked the gas in these old trucks. Optional lap belt only, no airbags, big fuzzy dice, and a dream catcher swinging back and forth in the rear view mirror that was glued to the windshield. These old trucks seemed to be as indestructible as a black box on an airplane. Hello? Okay. Ah, I see. He escaped, did he? 
Yeah, I agree. Most folks should lock themselves inside for the time being. Yeah, good to know. Thanks. Bye. How could the courthouse lose a prisoner? Which way would a fugitive run in this little town? We're boxed in by mountains on three sides. Huh. L let's go for a ride and find out. Justin grabs the Winchester 3030, loads a few rounds in it, and heads for the corrals. He puts a saddle on a tall sorrel gilding horse named Big Enough. It was a warm day in Moccasin, Arizona, as Justin rounds the M Hill and on through the gate just past the Boy Scout cave. As he rode up past Uncle Grant's irrigation dam in the wash and around the mountain slope into the canyon opening, he could see what looked like an out-of-town cousin walking across the way. It looked to be one of Alan's boys, maybe Aaron. He was tall like his dad and had curly dark hair like his mom. He seemed to have a jacket in front of him and across his hands as he walked along. Hi. I'm looking for the guy that escaped from the courthouse. If you see him, tell him I'm looking to collect the bounty if there is one. Dead or alive. <laughs> the thought-to-be cousin walked on and back towards town as Justin rode further into the canyon. He thought to himself, I haven't seen Alan's voice for a while. I'm not so sure that was him. Come to think of it, what does an escaped prisoner even look like? Chances are that was him. And it sure looked like he was covering some handcuffs over his wrists with that jacket. I'll be buggered. I guess I'll circle back across the wash and ride back to town and past the school. It turns out that the unidentifiable cousin wasn't a cousin after all. It was the guy the court was looking for. And from what he had just experienced, he was plenty spooked by the small town country posse approach. He'd made a quick path back to the courthouse to avoid any more gun-toting country boy vigilantes. I, I surrender! I surrender! <laughs> oh, there's some cowboy guy hunting me down on his horse. Just get me inside. It's not a good day for me to get shot. Uh, I'm allergic to bullets. Now you might be asking yourself, what am I telling you this here story for? Well, because personal family history stories are always happening. For example, this past Monday, just after my son took his four-wheeler down to catch the bus, I was just finishing my morning workout at 8.02 a.m. when... Uh, oh, sorry. Hold on. It's my brother calling. Hello, Bishop. What's up? Hello. Hey, did someone borrow your son's four-wheeler? No, why? Because it just left town on a trailer going pretty fast. Seriously? Okay, I'm going after him. Can you follow them till I catch up? Yeah. Well, I hung up, dazed but still scrambling about the house getting dressed, getting my gun and ammo, grabbing a water bottle, and 
just looking toward the back door when the thought crossed my mind to call 911. You can't call 911 for a stolen, stoled, in the process of being stolen? Four-wheeler, can you? What would I even say? Should I set the house on fire first so that my reason seems a little more legit? I have seen all those billboards about the reasons you're allowed to call 911. Is this one of them? I don't remember specifically seeing swiped from the church parking lot four-wheeler. I tell myself to shut my pie hole, and I call anyway. 911, what's the nature of your emergency? Um, someone stole my four-wheeler, and they're driving south on the county road toward the state highway. What does the vehicle look like? Uh, up to this point, I realize I don't know hardly anything about the thief, his vehicle description, or anything. And when you get two colorblind brothers giving details to the other, color ain't mentioned. I, I don't know. I think he said something about a truck with an old flatbed trailer. Well, there's a white and red Polaris four-wheeler on that trailer. That's the one they stole. And it's not strapped down. I don't know if they're going east or west from the Chevron on the Highway 389. If we could somehow get... Let uh, me transfer you to your county sheriff's dispatch. Uh, okay, thank you. When they come on the line, I repeat the previous comments and give dispatch my home phone number which is still a thing in some parts of the world. And yes, my phone is still connected to the wall. Well, after I hang up, I realize that I gave my home number and then immediately regret that because I want to get in pursuit of these creeps. Well, so I grab my gun, a hat, and I bolt out the door. I start the car and then run back in the house to get my wallet. I learned that from another somewhat recent morning adventure. Three miles down the road, I get a phone call from my brother. Hey! They're headed west toward Colorado City. They're going really fast. I'm going on near 100 miles an hour and I barely caught up with them just because of the traffic. Okay, keep on them then. I called the sheriff's office and they're alerted. I'll call them back and give them an update on your location. As my brother raced down the highway, his truck topped out at 100 miles an hour, and he could tell by the shimmy of the front end that although it wasn't fully engaged, his hubs were still locked in. <laughs> but there was no time to stop or he would lose sight of the vehicle that was about a, a mile or a bit ahead of him and still go at a breakneck speed with an unstrapped stolen four-wheeler on the back. I pulled off the road again at one of those last spots of phone signal for about ten and a half miles. And I called dispatch again, updated them on the location, and, and told them my brother was following them. My brother serves as a local bishop for the Church of Jesus Christ and was home that morning burning weeds when he saw the truck, trailer, and stolen four-wheeler flying out of town. As I pull back onto the pavement, I'm apprehensive that I will be without signal for nearly ten minutes. It would have been longer, but we are all speeding like wild banshees. One trying to get away, the other trying to catch up and keep up. I top out at Pipe Valley and call my county dispatch 
with an update and a time frame and check on availability to help with pursuit. I learned later that the county officer was rerouted by priority to the call of an unresponsive seven-year-old in a vehicle on the highway. The thieves turned off the highway in a cloud of dust, which is the only way he knew they left the pavement. They've stopped at a house a mile or so from the highway. I'm just outside the driveway. They can see me. They're not going anywhere. Looks like one guy. What's the address? Do you know where the Dubberleys live? Now this is a rural country habit when we refer to locations by people we know nearby. Sometimes because the street names are vague at best or non-existent. I have no idea where the location is, so I asked him to send me a GPS marker. We are both hyped up and frazzled with indignation that someone has violated our peaceful town by stealing something that didn't belong to them. The stolen four-wheeler is nothing extravagant. It's a 2001 Polaris Trail Boss 325, rear-wheel drive only. Nothing impressive, but my son has been doing sweat equity labor to purchase it from his grandpa. On top of that, he has put money in and time into make the needed repairs to replace the sprocket, chain, battery, carburetor, filters, headlight, taillight, new switches, oil change, and a new petcock valve. The kid has been yelled at more than once for coming into the house smelling like a gas can. Seriously, he has enough to make your eyes water and to worry about the pilot light on the gas stove setting him ablaze from across the room. He just recently got the new carburetor installed and adjusted so that it finally starts and idles again. He has kicked and cussed that machine so many times, I've lost track. But he kept at it. I stop at the highway turnoff to where I assume my brother went. Hey, I'm still at the house. No one has moved yet. The guy looks nervous because he knows I'm here watching. I see an officer pull near the turnoff and he stops to put on a Kevlar jacket. I, I honk and wave him over. We talk about what we know, I give him some vague directions because that's all I have. I tell him I have a weapon in the car because country boys are courteous that way. He says, maybe you ought to stay here at the intersection in the chance that somehow this guy evades us and tries to flee. So I stay put. Within a few minutes, I see other officers driving into the neighborhood, an unmarked black truck and a marshal's blazer. They're here talking to the guy now. Can you tell the cops that I want the guy to drive the stolen property back to where he got it and unload it? I don't think that's going to happen. The whole ordeal is over within 90 minutes, possibly the quickest 90 minutes of my life and potentially the longest 90 minutes of Mr. Cook's tumultuous existence. And that's the feller's name. In the end, the four-wheeler was recovered without damage, which is a miracle knowing that it wasn't strapped down and one wheel was lodged through a broken board on the trailer. And he was driving like a bat out of pain, which Mr. Cook was arrested and turned over to the custody of the county. 
then given a court date and released. I had previously served as a county constable for 10 years and had spent my fair share of time in jury trials, so I had no interest in showing up for a court date or pursuing charges. I told the county officer that when he called me. When the excitement wore off that afternoon and the next morning, I started to downshift my emotions from the adrenaline-infused righteous indignation I was feeling earlier that morning. As I talked with my son about Mr. Cook's troublesome choice to steal his four-wheeler, how unfair what he did was, we also learned on the scene that this was a frequent behavior for Mr. Cook. I wondered if my righteous indignation had evolved into fiery darts. I didn't want that. And I didn't want to be parenting from that either. Mr. Neil Anderson has been quoted as saying, how does a peacemaker calm and cool the fiery darts? Certainly not by shrinking before those who disparage us. Rather, we remain confident, but always void of anger or malice. Why do I tell this story? Why are any of the stories I've told important? Well, in my case, hopefully so I can learn from something. So, as not to repeat it, if it's egregious to how I want to be and parent. And to duplicate it as often as needed, if it is in line with my values. A true stories well told can inspire, caution, entertain, and instruct. Now... In the past few episodes, I've shared several personal accounts from folks, some in related to, some not, yet folks who've had life happen to them. And in those moments of magnitude, when life events spike our seismographs, I hope that we remember, record, and recount them to those we want to improve beyond our own lives, whether that is a spouse, friend, family, associates, a support group, or anyone. And in recounting them to others, remind yourself that you are still pretty amazing yourself. What legacy are you passing on to your children and family? Is it money? Is it knickknacks? Silverware? Keepsakes? Memories? Is it family histories? Did you know that 70% of generational wealth is squandered by the second generation? 90% of it's gone by the third generation. So, as far as passing things on to posterity, the greatest staying power is recorded memories and histories. Those are the keepsakes, the wealth of knowledge and the treasures of family that do the most good. The principal amount compounds exponentially and (laughs) tax-free with your growing family. What do we learn from these stories? Well, we learn that bad things happen to good people. And bad people happen onto some good things. Life isn't fair. It wasn't meant to be that way. Life is an experience and we better get off our fair soapbox and make of it everything that we can. Life is not who you are. Life is who you are becoming. What is connection to ourselves and our past? It's everything. It's the opposite of addiction. When civilizations were attacked, destroying their connections to the past, the records, their histories, was the ultimate destruction. Detaching someone from what made them, that's the worst kind of long-lasting damage. 
don't do that to those you love. Don't be untouchably and perceptively perfect. Have some flaws. Share them in a respectful way and in trusted company. The scars you share become lighthouses for other people headed for the same rocks. My friends, we each have a story. As we discover our story, we connect, we belong, we become. And for the love of biscuits and gravy, that's a beautiful thing. Thank you for listening to the Feeling Your Oats podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. Growing listeners will allow complete focus on content. Once again, I am just randomly being me. Until next time, remember, when your why is clear, your how is easy. And hey, we'll see you in the spring if the water's clear. Well, dad blasted, I sure enjoyed the visit today. If you gained something from it, be kind enough to follow us and leave a review. And do it right now. If and you would, it'd sure be appreciated. Your comments have been so considerate and honestly left me blushing. And good night, those reviews make a big difference in the program's visibility. On the Apple platforms, you select the Go to Show option. And then click the circle plus sign at the top right to follow. Then scroll down below the episodes to leave some stars and a review. Them algorithms need all the help they can get so as I can disrupt more good folks like you. So I tell you what, if you got a friend or three that you just don't like very much, well, share this podcast with them and let us bug them for a while. And if you have comments or suggestions for future discussions, well, don't just keep them to yourself. We, we, we'd love to hear from you. You can DM us on our Instagrams at fyo.podcast. And thank you. there remember to download the family tree app and see how you are related to the people from today's episode all those links will be included in the show notes sometimes it's important to look a gift horse in the mouth your gift is your ancestry your superpower is their family history stories that make you not a one of us crawled out from under a rock regardless of what you've been told you have 4,094 grandparents, over 12 generations, with thousands of love stories, battles, difficulties, sadness, happiness, and expressions of hope for the future that allows you to be here today. We are the culmination of so many things we did not choose. It was designed that way. So be gentle with yourself and others. Take the time to learn yourself through your family history stories. There are innumerable tributaries flowing into the life experience that deceptively seems to be your own, but it's not. So think about that as you row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Russell M. Nelson stated, when our hearts turn to our ancestors, something changes inside us. We feel part of something greater than ourselves. <laughs> I concur. Thank you for joining me on another unbelievably true adventure. Find your family history superpower and activate it.
Until the next time, bye. <laughs>